0: Hi, it's Casey and welcome to shine on the health and happiness show an Ellis leash production brought to you by the center for dermatology Cosmetic and laser surgery in Mount Kisco visit dr. David Bank at the Centerforderm.com. You'll be happy you did So here we are surprised again that it's back to school time today We are going to shine on with some great parenting tips from dr. Erica reicher and we're going to learn about the classical education movement That is sweeping the nation what is a classical education?
1: Something that was done by the ancients where their ultimate goal was to understand their creator. So they use methods and classes from the trivium and the quadrivium. Classes based in their languages, their ancient Greek language and eventually the Latin language, then went into logic, the order of thought.
0: That's Terry Rossidi from the St. Therese Classical Academy in Chester that she opened herself. We will get our classical education coming up. First, I want to take a minute to invite you to a special shine on night out Saturday, September 24th at Yankee Barbecue on Route 9 in Fishkill. We're going to get together with a trio of women singers who call themselves boy band and we're going to celebrate harmony. Get details on my new website CaseyRadio.com Now moms and dads grandparents, aunts, uncles, caregivers, did you ever stop to think what a child thinks of you when you're giving them direction? Do they think you're kind, mean, bossy, understanding? Are you teaching them that you're patient? Are you teaching them that you care? Dr. Erica Reicher, Princeton-educated, leads parenting classes in California and also writes about families for Psychology Today and the New York Times, among others. Her latest book is called The Small Book of Big Parenting Ideas, What Great Parents Do, 75 Simple Strategies for Raising Kids Who Thrive. She writes... When you notice your child is experiencing a feeling and you have the urge to fix it, like boredom, rejection, anxiety, remind yourself that this is an opportunity to practice useful life skills with your guidance. First, empathize, then explore the scenario through your child's eyes, and then become a coach to offer options. But don't try to fix. Allow kids to grow by helping to find a solution. Another parenting tip was to keep in mind what kind of a person your child thinks you are and what kind of a person you want them to see you as. Dr. Erica, this was a new thought for me.
2: Right. I'm so glad you found that one. That's one of my favorites. So I I call this idea seeing your kids as little scientists, right? Kids are always testing to see what works, right? What happens if I do this? What happens if I don't do that? And it's very easy to see this with little kids in terms of what I call the natural world. You know, they're dropping and mixing and tasting and banging, right? They're always doing experiments. We acknowledge that. But what we sometimes forget is that they're also doing experiments in the social world, you know, on the people and their lives. And it's a really important thing for kids to figure out for all the important people in their lives, particularly parents, how do I get what I want? How do you work? What happens if I do this? What happens if I do that? What if I ignore you? What if I yell at you? What if I this? Right? This is, this is an important part of being a kid is figuring out how the people around you work and how to get what you want, right? Mm-hmm. And so the question that I always think a parent should ask is, what do I want them to learn about me? Because then that reframes the interaction. So you're thinking about when I respond to this behavior, you know, I can see it as being defiant or I can see it as being curious. And if I see it as being curious, I'm going to be probably more patient and more able to choose the information that I want to give to them about who I am as a person and how I work and how I want them to interact with me based on how I behave with them. You know, we want our kids to see us as being patient and kind and reasonable and fair and all those things, but we don't always... Act that way because we forget (laughs) that they're doing experiments on us. We forget that we don't want our kids to see us as volatile or unreasonable or moody, right? (laughs) So we need to behave in a way that sends the message of how we behave, right? Another way that I think about this is when you look at your kids, pretend that they're wearing a little white lab coat and they have a little lab notebook and a little pen and they're making notes every time you have an interaction with them. And so one of the things kids, you know, might write down, for example, I, I use this example from the workshop, is, you know, if I have a tantrum outside and public, I'm more likely to get what I want than if it happens at home, right? Ah. Um, so like as an example, right? Right. they realize like, oh, tantrums in public, more effective than tantrums at home. Guess what? You're probably going to get more tantrums in public because it works and kids are drawn to what works and we are too. I mean, we as adults do this all the time. We're just less blunt about it. <laughs> We're more subtle in trying to figure out the people in our lives. If we see kids as, as doing experiments on us, then we can respond to them accordingly and shape our relationship with them based on what we don't want them to know about right right you know but
0: you have to be a pretty cool person to, to come at it mm. from this angle already you know you have to be pretty mm-hmm. cool to start with for you to say now what do I want my kid to think of me in this situation That's right.
2: you know you have to think about it in advance in general right yeah. you have to kind of be thinking about your interactions which ones when you look back over the last day or week or month which ones are you feeling good about which ones you think oh I don't really like how that went and deciding okay so if that kind of thing happens again what will I do differently so that I can change that outcome we do have to spend some time reflecting reflecting and being aware of what we're doing so part of that goes to this issue of self-care right if we aren't taking care of ourselves and making sure that we are well rested and fed and we're doing things that are rejuvenating and this i'm talking about us as parents it is so much harder to be patient and thoughtful you know if we aren't getting enough sleep is a huge reason why we lose our tempers
0: but if you want your kids to think highly of you that's a great motivator to explain yourself yeah, well, that's right.
2: okay. <laughs> I'm going to sleep now so I can be a better person. It's true. It, it's totally true. It's a really great reason. It is
0: a great reason. All right. What is an overfunctioning parent?
2: So overfunctioning is the word that I use to describe behaviors that, that sometimes people associate with helicopter parenting. It's the kind of thing where we are always trying to make sure that our you know nothing bad happens. Right. We don't want our kids to experience failure or disappointment or discomfort. You know, they forget their lunch every day. We bring it to them. They forget their code every day. We take it to them. They forget their home every day. We take it to them. It doesn't even have to be every day, but we get in the habit of kind of making sure that they don't have to experience any kind of failure or disappointment. And so here's the problem. You know, we have to think about the long-term implications of what we're doing moment to moment, day to day. And so while when we do those things, again, it comes from a place of what I say is great love and good intentions, but we we are making a trade-off, an enormous trade-off. We are averting that short-term discomfort, which feels good to them and to us because we don't like to see our kids suffer or have any kind of discomfort. But, you know, we have to ask ourselves as parents, what is the long-term implication of our kids not learning how to cope with those situations or not learning time management skills or not learning how to get organized in the morning, right? We need to help them with that in a way that lets them build those skills instead of doing it for them because really for a lot of times as parents, especially with little kids, we can do everything faster, better, but then they don't get a chance to do that. So they need to learn and struggle and make mistakes and they need to mess it up, right? We need to let them make mistakes and learn from those mistakes. And we just need to make sure that, the that you know, when we let them, when we stand back and kind of let them make mistakes, that as long as those mistakes aren't going to be something that is, you know, a threat to health or safety or something that is just insurmountable, right? But, you know, we need to let them mess things up and and then learn how to fix it with our support.
0: And what do we do while they're messing things up? Just stand in the background biting our <laughs> finger? ah. Uh. <laughs>
2: Well, you know, I, I, so in a way, letting letting kids mess things up is is a little bit related to what I call natural consequences, which is kind of like you don't have to do anything; you're just going to sit back and let things happen. But a related strategy in the book is called a preview. So let me put these two things together in an example that I like to use. So let's say you have a you know five year old and they love their princess shoes. This would be like if your five year old daughter' favorite pair of princess shoes, um, and they also have a pair of rain boots. And it's pouring rain. It's a you know first day of school and it's pouring rain. They want to wear their princess shoes. You. Them to wear the rain boots. It's definitely a better choice, but they refuse. And you can either get into a power struggle or you can sidestep it and use a preview with natural consequences, right? So you might say, honey, I think that if you wear the princess shoes, your feet are going to get cold and wet, and that's going to be really uncomfortable. I really think you should wear the boots, because that'll protect your feet. And it's up to you that's mm-hmm. sharing power and letting them make the choice. So please decide, because we're leaving in five minutes. And you've just sidestepped the power struggle and the tantrum at the front door, but you've still given them the benefit of your experience. You're not just going to say, fine, do whatever, and then later you can say, I told you so. <laughs> right. You're going to say, I, I don't think that's a good idea because of X, Y, and Z. In my experience, here's what's going to happen, and for me, I wouldn't like that, but But it's your body, you choose, right? And as I said, the only exception to this idea of of letting your kids experience natural consequences of their choices is, you know, if there's a threat to health or safety. So I live in Northern California, so the worst thing that would happen to my kids is their feet would get really cold and wet. But they wouldn't get frostbite. So if I lived in Alaska... Now, that's probably not something I'm going to let them do.
0: Gotcha. But let me tell you, the teachers in Northern California, when the five-year-old walks in with the wet shoes, says, what kind of a mother would let her daughter wear those princess
2: shoes in the rain?
0: All right. A mother who
2: wants their kids to learn not to do that again. And you know, if they don't like having cold and wet feet, they won't do it again, and you won't have to argue about it.
0: That's right. Dr. Erica Reicher is our guest. The book is fantastic. The small book of big parenting ideas, What Great Parents Do, 75 Simple Strategies for Raising Kids Who Thrive. Let me ask you something. You know, for children who later in life get stuck, can you still parent even when they're older?
2: I think so. You know, I think we're always parents to our kids, even when we're, you know, 80 and they're 50 or whatever. (laughs) Um, Even when they're grandparents, if we're lucky enough to be great grandparents, we're still their parents. And, you know, one of the things that that I wanted to do with this book, it is focused on the parent-child relationship, but, and it uses examples for kids, you know, more or less under, between two and 12. But really, it's about relationships in general, because as a psychologist, that's what I focus on in my practice. It's about relationships. And so these strategies, the big picture idea for all these strategies applies to all all of your relationships even your relationships with you know your friends your partner your co-workers your neighbors um, it's just I chose to use examples that were focused on parents and children because that's the relationship I'm focusing on but the bigger picture principles are still true right. for, for everything so um, so it really works in in most relationships and with kids of all ages right I just the examples I use in the book are, are focused on a certain kind of parent-child relationship, but, you know, as a reader, you can try to imagine other examples using those same ideas.
0: Right. All right. Is there one thing that you would ever say parents should never, 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 never do?
2: Um, okay, spank their kids. Okay. There's very few things that I actually think are never, never, never. I like to give guidelines and you have to kind of say, Well, what works and how does this fit into your family life? But we have so much research now that shows that there's no benefit to spanking and there's so many downsides that I think the 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 thing in the book that I would say that I I don't like to say never or always, but I would say don't thank your kids, because it really teaches kids to use aggression to get what they want. It teaches kids that force is an acceptable response. And in terms of a general effect on kids, you know, kids who are, you know, who have parents that are aggressive, either verbally or especially physically, they tend to have, you know, greater incidence of depression, anxiety. They have a harder time dealing with stress. They're just, they have a harder time with life. And that's not the kind of experience we want our kids to have. And there's so many better ways to discipline kids, I'm certain not against discipline by any means. I think it's it's an important part of parenting. But I, in the book, I talk about some really specific ways that you can discipline kids without also impairing their well-being or affecting your relationship with them. Good
0: advice, Dr. Erica Reicher. Find more at drericar.com. And if you want to get a copy of What Great Parents Do, email me at kcradio at gmail.com. Next, we're going to get a classical education and head back to school.
3: You're listening to Shine On, the health and happiness show with Casey on 100.7 WHUD. If you have a question or want more information about anything you've heard on the show, email CaseyRadio at gmail.com. Information, fun, and inspiration. This is Shine On, the health and happiness show.
0: you know how good it feels to catch a glimpse of your own reflection and smile back at it Dr. David Bank at the Center for Dermatology Cosmetic and Laser Surgery in Mount Kisco can help refresh your reflection naturally long-lasting Thermage uses radio frequency to strengthen your skin Thermage can help you regain a youthful contouring of your cheekbones and jaw it works great on stretch marks and on your legs and around your knees too a Fraxel laser treatment pinpoints sunspots scars and wrinkles and stimulates your own natural collagen. Fraxel can help change damaged skin into glowing, healthy skin. Ladies, in less time than a yoga class or a mani-pedi, you can renew and rejuvenate your skin and smile back at your reflection. Take the first step today. Call Dr. David Bank at the Center for Dermatology in Mount Kisco. Here's the number, 914-241-3003. And visit thecenterforderm.com. You'll be happy you did. Hi, it's Casey. Imagine a third grader today learning Latin. Well, it's happening all across the country in the new classical education movement and at the St. Therese Academy in Chester. Terry Rossidi is the mother of four girls. Her oldest just graduated from the St. Therese Academy, which Terry founded. The Academy, a pre K through grade 12 liberal and fine arts school, is where students start to learn Latin as early as the third grade. Terry had a Montessori preschool at one time, and she also taught in a mainstream school, but she knew that there was more to offer students who attended a classical education academy, so she opened one. At the St. Therese Academy, Terry Rossidi says children are seen as individuals and they're taught to think critically to discover their own inner wisdom. Terry, let's start with your Montessori background. That was a big game changer for you. Tell us why.
1: Basically, when I was teaching three-year-olds, my fourth grader was learning. So I said... Something's wrong. I think children are more capable of you know, learning so much more.
0: Right now, give me an example of some of the things that, in, when in Montessori school, you say the four-year-olds were learning things that the fourth
1: graders. Oh, sure, were learning. just uh, various science experiments. And uh, one one thing in particular was like adding in the thousands. You know, Montessori has beautiful mathematics materials, and um, you know we use manipulatives to teach the children. You know, using the the um, the beads. Needs and, and the art. abacus and things yes, like that. and um, so here they are adding in the thousands and my daughter's coming home and not understanding how to carry or to borrow. Wow. And I would show that and I would say, hmm, you know, this is amazing that I could just show this one little four-year-old girl who was just getting it beautifully and then um, my daughter needed help so I bought the manipulative home to her and she got it immediately. Yeah. So I said, oh, you know what? The, the teacher's not of just kind of giving them their style of learning. Maybe they were you know, uh, visual or audio or kinetic and it, we just needed to offer them more.
0: Right, so so the Montessori method, as you're saying, is I have to say this, full disclosure, I actually taught at a Montessori school, too. I did a theater arts program. Oh, you did? Okay. Yes, yeah. so mm-hmm. I, I love the idea that every child is unique, every child yes. learns differently, yes. and every child is growing at a different rate, and the manipulatives I saw one day, kids in the classroom with um, bowls and spoons and mm-hmm. measuring cups, mm-hmm. and they're measuring out cereal and pouring it into their dry cereal, pouring it into bowls. Yes. And I thought, my gosh, and then getting the milk and bringing that over and pouring that in, measuring and pouring. And I thought, they're not only learning math and, and quantity, they're also learning the skills of how to uh, carry milk without spilling it, you know?
1: So many so things. So much. And it, and, it's, and it is, and you, you said it right on the head, and that's what classical education does, too. It speaks to the child as the individual. Right. You know, we, we do believe that. Everyone's made in the image and likeness of God, and, and we are individuals. That's why you know the one line that i always use we cultivate wisdom and virtue and the wisdom is when you get older like all these skills are are wonderful and they're all shaping the child and then as they grow older their wisdom is that able to discern what is truth what is beautiful and um, the virtue is speaking to the child as the whole we can't grow to our fullest potential unless we're virtuous you know because our fullest potential is not going to be um, someone who's in trouble a non-virtuous person so this these are the things that, the, that I saw the classical education does to the child it, okay. it takes that Montessori idealism that she actually took from her classical education and brings it to that level into the adult so uh-huh. that's, that's why we start with um, our lower grades, using Montessori methods, along with, you know, just the beautiful curriculum that we offer and growing into that individual so that when the children are in the upper grades, they're able to um, process everything socratically, you know, discussing the important points. That's basically the premise of the school.
0: So we're talking to Terry Ceridi from the St. Therese Classical Academy, and here's our full circle moment that Maria Montessori had a classical education. So you bounced off the Montessori method, and now you have your own own classical education school. What is a classical education?
1: a classical education is something that was done by the ancients where their ultimate goal was to understand their creator. So they used methods and classes from the trivium and the quadrivium and the trivium was basically classes based in their languages, their ancient Greek language and eventually the Latin language, then went into logic, the order of thought. So first we need to be presented with the tools into grammar and then logic will give you the order of the thought. And then they went into rhetoric. How can we apply this? Everything that we've learned. So it was just a process. They also studied the quadrivium, which was basics of astronomy and geometry, arithmetic, and then music. So believe it or not, music is part of our math program.
0: Sure. So the trivium and the quad... Quadrivium. Mm -hmm. Quadrivium? Yes. All right. These are ancient texts, and that's what a classical education is based on. It's based on that, yes. And you know, I just, I, I had this light bulb moment, and then I got a stomach ache. Uh, first, <laughs> the light bulb moment is what you said in in early education. People were trying to figure out their connection to the Creator.
1: Yes, yes. When you think about it, we we had a long time where people were understanding. They wanted to understand why are we here? What is our purpose? Um, And everything does have a purpose. Everything has an order, and that's what I love about uh, the natural sciences, too. It's finding out the order. Everything grows in a particular way. There's patterns. They came to understand, um, you know, mathematically, patterns in science. And the basic premise was all this did come from a creator. So they wanted to understand him. Now, later in history, when modern education was developed, it was more, um, I want to say a dismissal of God, but trying to be like a god. In ah. understanding, So then you had more of the science, where classical education dealt in absolutes. They wanted an absolute truth, and science has probability. So, um, you know, and it comes from two different kinds of reasoning. You know, deductive reasoning, which starts with the truth, and you grow into another truth from a truth, and inductive, where it's a process, and basically leads to probability, not 100% absolute. Wow. Um, so that's kind of the premise of that. So um, I got my stomach
0: ache when I thought how far education has come from a classical education to like <laughs> common core today, yes. where the teachers are graded and the kids are taking tests, and it really has so little to do with developing them as human beings.
1: Correct. It's like an input-output system. You know we can almost be like we're computers almost you know you just put the information in and what we can spit out and the funny thing is I think back on my modern education and I don't remember much but I remember the projects and I remember discussions and that always um struck me as wow that's what really stuck was that um small facts and dates that we were taught to memorize that's not what sticks with people No, no no so that's you know, I think one of the detriments of of the modern education. Well,
0: you have a lot of parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles sitting on the edge of their seats now wanting to know where your school is and how they can get their kids in there.
1: Okay, this is, um, we have just moved. We are now at the Craigville Bible Church, 789 Craigville Road in Chester. That's where we can be reached. Why did you call it the St. Therese Academy? I love St. Therese. I have a connection with her. You know, as Catholics, we all have kind of a patron saint who we can identify with, and um, she's the patron saint of simplicity. And is that the little flower? That's the little flower. I've always had this great relationship with her, and it's just her little way. And teaching children that just the simplest thing we do. If we do it well and we do it for God, then it just means so much. To the world and to to our gods, she was just a beautiful person. And you didn't have to be a scholar. You don't have to be an elitist. You don't have to be anything to, to have this um, this beauty about you. Right. So that's what's so precious about her.
0: So Terry, are languages taught?
1: Yes, yes. Actually we have, uh, Latin is required for all our students and we start that in third grade and that's carried out through high school. We have had Italian, so we will continue that this year. Next year we'll be integrating Spanish again.
0: Now for all the parents who aren't in the Chester area, how can you help guide them to give their children more of this classical education?
1: You know if they're not in the Chester, we actually have families who drive an hour to come to us. That's how important it is and I would encourage know Anyway, plug in for the homeschool movement because a lot of these parents have chose to do that, and it seems to be working for them. Uh, If they feel that their child is not uh, performing well or growing uh, in a modern education, it is such a nice alternative, and there's groups everywhere that can assist them in that. And um, there are other schools opening like ours, so it is a movement. And what is your
0: dream for the future?
1: Oh, my dream is to enlarge the school to have a beautiful setting where children can go. I never want to have a high price where families can't say they cannot afford it because I think this should be available to all and my dream is that more people or myself might be able to open up more.
0: Thank you for this education on education. Is there anything else our listeners need to know this morning?
1: We need to learn for our children to think outside the box of education. I really want every parent to know that there is an alternative out there. There are alternatives. If you're feeling uncomfortable, you know, this is the place where your children can go. I always say, God said, send us your weary and your burdened, and we can help you. And we will obviously treat your child as the individual, appeal to their needs as best we can, and hopefully help them grow into the people that they were made to be.
0: And so. how do we find out more information?
1: And more information, you can visit our website, st stcacademy.org or you can call us at 845-926-7510
0: stcacademy.org correct Terry Rossidi at St. Therese Academy stcacademy.org happy back to school season moms and dads and kids and don't forget save the date Saturday, September 24th for a Shine On Party in Fishkill find details at kcradio.com see you next week
3: You've been listening to Shine On, the health and happiness show with Casey and Ella's Leash Production. The content of Shine On, the health and happiness show is intended for general information purposes only. Shine On, the health and happiness show is made possible with support from the Center for Dermatology, Cosmetic and Laser Surgery in Mount Kisco. Let Dr. David Bank recapture your youthful look. Visit thecenterforderm.com. You'll be happy you did. You can listen to previously broadcast shows online at caseyradio.com. Join Casey for another edition of Shine On, the health and happiness show next Sunday morning from 100.7 WHUD.